Welcome back to the WWIA Podcast. We hope you're enjoying this special podcast series on the John McDaniel story. If you are, please do us a favor and leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or your preferred podcast service. Let's learn more about John's military service as we dive into Part 7, Joint Southern Surveillance Reconnaissance Operations Center in the Florida Keys. Okay, I'm back. All right, so if you're following the bouncing ball on my uh, career podcast here, the where, where we're at is, uh, I think where I left off was PERSCOM, the Personnel Command, there in D.C. And, uh, you know, and so I, you know, I didn't get that job uh, to be President uh, Bush's number 43, uh, being his aide-de-camp. And so what basically happened then is I shifted gears you know, in the midst, you know, very much still in the midst and throes of of nine one one, which is very, at the time, still very uh, raw and very prevalent, uh, especially you know in the nation's capital, as it's sort of uncertain in the military what we're going to do after this you know horrific attack. But uh, we certainly know that we're going to do something. And those of us who were wearing a uniform at the time absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt knew that uh, America would respond. Uh, the question was, what were we, we going to do and where were we going to do it? And, you know, and eventually, you know, history, uh, you know, solves the, the, the mystery for you. And, and we know what we did and we know where we did it. And, and that's, you know, uh, not, not the, the, t- the, the purpose of this discussion today. But nonetheless, um, you know, as I recall, there were, you know, U.S. flags flying everywhere and you know and in dc which was attacked you know uh as i as i mentioned you know uh the terrorists flying uh you know planes uh you know in into uh you know obviously the twin uh, towers there in new york and then of course you know the pentagon was attacked about a mile from where i was and the whole you know timothy maud story that i shared with you earlier so that's my frame of mind at the time and i and i thought i was going to get that job to be uh president bush's aide de camp and i did not and i wasn't really disappointed I, I i think they got the right guy for that job and i was just honored to be you know in the in the hunt in the consideration i think there was four candidates that were offered and um you know so that's a pretty thin cut and just felt pretty honored to be considered in, in you know to to be his aide de camp so um here i am back at dc you know in my in my little assignment officer chair making making assignments for space operations officers and uh, public affairs officers and and you know have my fingers a little bit in the army astronaut program so that's kind of my life and then uh, you know all of a sudden one day you know the telephone rings and uh you know it's one of the guys out there in the field and part of my job not only making assignments you know when i say making assignments that means you get orders not suggestions and i cut the orders and they, they, you know they have official w- ways there of having assignment officers cut the orders and uh by the when orders get cut they they very very rarely do they ever get rescinded and they don't take them back <laughs> so if you get a, a set of orders uh, taking you uh, sending you off to korea uh guess what 
pack your bags, you're you're going to Korea, <laughs> sort of thing. So, uh, and all of us who rose our right, uh, you know, raised our right hand and said they would, you know, swear to uphold the Constitution of the United States of America and the orders of the officers appointed over them, then, you know, you kind of know that, that that's what those are. Those are orders. They're not suggestions, you know. They don't say, would you please? <laughs> they start out with, you will. That's an order, <laughs> sort of thing. Uh, you will proceed, is I think how most orders start. Anyway, um, so that's what I did. I was cutting orders for guys and gals, you know. To, to and it's now the landscape's changed. We know we're going to war, and so when you got a set of orders, I, I think everybody, you know, in that time period, just post nine one one, you know, let's just say that your senses were a little calibrated at at the time. As mine certainly uh, were as well. So, uh, you know, that was my job, and I, and I was doing it. I think I did a pretty good job of doing that. And, and oh, by the way, it's kind of a thankless job. Um, because, uh, you know, there's usually one or two things that happens. You you have a smiley face if you get a set of orders that you like, or you have a sad face if you don't get a set of orders that you like, you know, if you don't like the orders you got, you know. And there's very, very little, you know, sort of indifference to orders. You know, you get orders, you're either happy or sad. That's my experience. And so, you know, a lot of guys try to talk you out of it. Well, I got this, I got that. And I'm like, you know... Um, you know, I was, uh, you know, at the end of the day, somebody's got to go to that job. I know nobody wants to go, but there's only, for example, two of you that fit the genotype, have the skill set, and are available. And so it's one of you two guys going. And, um, you know, so guys, you'd always like, you know, give you the, the, the ball ache about, uh, you know, I'm going to get my, my, I'm going to get my chain of command involved. I'm going to get my two star involved. And I used to say, Okay, you know, that's that's fine. Yeah, but let me let me explain something to you there, cowboy. Um, you know, the there's this little thing called the rules of the Potomac. And for those of you that don't know, the rules of the Potomac Potomac have to do with with generals, you know, with how many stars you have on your shoulder and divisions where these guys and gals are going to go, you know, where I'm sending them off to divisions for the most part. Um, you know, um, there's typically, uh, you know, two star uh, commander at the division level and in the PERSCOM, in PERSCOM parlance, parlance, you know, there is, uh, you know, there's the two star, uh, in that case, Dorian Anderson um, at the time. And then the three star General Maud, uh, who's the desk per deputy chief of staff for personnel. So if I need it, I got three stars and my three stars trump your two stars. So suck it up you're going to Korea sort of thing you know <laughs> you know that's what it really boiled down to and it didn't happen that often you know most guys understood you know that the, they had to go do these jobs and so uh, but it was it was a tough job being at Perscom is a tough job and they always say if you leave Perscom you know and as you recall I, I went there dragging my feet I didn't want to do that job but I, I did and, and you know it's like I didn't want to be an S4 either but I, I did the best I could and I certainly did the best I could with the, the job there at Personnel Command and so, anyway, they always say, if you leave PERSCOM as an assignment officer without an assignment that you like, in other words, happy face, then you got nobody to blame but yourself, okay? And and that's true. So, the phone rings, 
And it's this guy by the name of Tim Mango, Timothy Mango, and he's a major, and he introduces himself as an aviation officer who um, would like to be a, a functional area 40 guy or, you know, he's retiring, getting ready to retire uh, after 20 years, and he thinks that the job he's in ought to be recoded as a functional area 40 job for space operations guys. And part of my charter at the time was not only to make assignments for space operations officers and public affairs officers and, 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 and dabble in the Army astronaut program. My job was also to recode um, as many jobs as I could or, or that were you know appropriate to, to recode from a standard billet, say, calling for a combat arms officer, as an example, to a functional area 40 space ops job if it made sense for the Army to do so. Like, hey, this is a very technical job. It's it's heavy in space operations. It's all before this, you know, functional area, you know, uh, OPMS 21 thing that we're doing. And uh, so I, I was doing that as well. I was recoding positions. If it, and if it had space in its title or, or dealt with space or space operations assets or activity, you know, and it made sense for us, uh, I would typically have it recoded. Um, and there was a process for that. It wasn't just a unilateral decision. But, uh, you know, I was pretty good at convincing my boss bosses, plural, that, you know, these are the billets that are the most career-enhancing and, 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 oh, by the way, important for us to fill with this new functional area of space operations dudes and dudettes. So this phone call comes from Tim Mango, who was a major at the time in in a little place called um, uh, he was he was the dr- uh, director of operations for an organization called the Jazz Rock. Okay, that's Joint Southern Surveillance Reconnaissance Operations Center, Jazz Rock. Okay, it's but not well known, and oh by the way, it no longer exists. It was consumed and it's morphed into something else. So you know you won't find it on the AM dial out there. But I'll tell you what it was, um, which was fascinating to me. This job um, included um, basically um, cobbling together by whatever means and through an integrated operational, common operational picture all kinds of assets, okay, ground-based radars, aerostat radars, um, air breathers, planes, you know, space systems, um, maritime systems, and human intelligence all into this common operational picture for the entire southern cone. So that's Central America, South America, and, and you know, lots of territory in the Caribbean, et cetera, et cetera. And so there was a, there was an organization, it's still being performed, it's just by somebody else, uh, that, that put all this together together it was 100% military there was no interagency anything it was all military and they and, and that job was uh, an 04 or majors job 0405 job and the guy or gal who got it got to be the director of operations uh, the, you know an S3 operational assignment and i thought to myself yes Okay, that 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 sounds great. Uh, so Ch- Tim and I chatted about it. I actually went down there and looked at it. He sent me a PowerPoint slide, and I was super convinced that this was a great opportunity for somebody. And, and the more I thought about it, the more I thought that somebody should should probably be me. <laughs> I'm not going to go. I'm not going to be the president's aide. So why don't I go be the director of operations at Jazz Rock down in guess what? 
Key West, Florida. That's right, the Florida Keys sports fans. And if you're following the bouncing ball, that meets one of Johnny Mac's criteria, which is world-class outdoor sporting activities available at your fingertips, i.e. one of the greatest fisheries in the planet. So I thought, boy, this is perfect. This is lining up really good for me. And so, uh, you know, I convinced my boss to uh, have it recoded, and then I uh, nominated myself for the position. Of course, it was approved, you know, by my boss uh, and my boss's plural and uh, you know I went smoking down to Key West and got there right after 911 it was you know it was in early 2002 and it was a three year joint nominative assignment okay now ps i will tell you that um after 911 in all fairness, I did go to my boss, and I was already on orders when this happened. You know, when nine one one, you know, happened, I was I'd already had the orders cut, and and I had them in my hand, and and uh, was preparing myself to go to Key uh, down to the Florida Keys to do this job at Jazz Rock, and of course they flew planes into our buildings and I knew that meant war, and I and I went to my boss and I said, hey sir. Look at, um, you know, I don't know how I feel about going down to the Florida Keys, considering that we're fixing to go to war here. You know, the drum beat is is loud and clear, and uh, there's some shock and awe about to happen. And I, uh, you know, I, I just I just don't think maybe the Florida Keys is the best place for me. And he goes, well, John, here's the deal, okay? Um, somebody's got to do that job, uh, and you're already on orders, and so you might as well just go do it this war. Is going to be here for a long time, and uh, and I absolutely is right. You know, tw- twenty years, you know, plus, and we're still fighting global war on terror. If you you know want to want a news flash, it's still happening. It's just not on the you know front newspaper or on the television every day, but it's still certainly happening. And so um, I did. I, I I thought it was. I appreciated him saying that, I, and and I did have a little bit of guilt about going down there. I'm just being honest, but you know. I got down there, and 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 that's you know that's why I ultimately uh, coming out of there decided to go back to SOCOM. It was a you know it was a decision that I made to uh, you know volunteer and go back to Special Operations Command. You know one more for the Gipper, if you will. But I'll I'll get to that and you know in a second when I go into the last chapter, which is uh, SOCOM. But you know here we are at Jazz Rock. Um, and, um, you know, I'm, um, I get to be a, a director of operations for an all-military organization. There's plenty of uh, brown shoe Navy guys. Those are pilots. Black shoe Navy guys. Those are the, you know, the seamen, the, the maritime guys that run the ships. Um, and there was plenty of Air Force uh, in that mix that, you know, understood, you know, the, 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 you know, the air picture, if you will, and the various different assets that the Air Force has that help us understand a common operational picture, plenty of airmen uh, available, plenty of Navy guys. Um, I think there was one or two Army guys, and I was, well, I was it, and I think we had one Marine, if not two, maybe, you know, uh, you know, on the staff, and the skipper was um, actually the former air boss on the JFK. Uh, carrier, uh, guy by the name of Shuchuk, Bill Shuchuk, great, great guy, great boss. <laughs> he uh, totally let me be uh, me and, and, and his uh, director of operations, and I learned a lot. I relied a lot, a lot on on the expertise of the enlisted men and, and the officers that worked for me there at uh, Jazz Rock, and ultimately. You know, Jazrock was consumed um, by an interagency task force, our nation's longest standing, at least it was at the time, 
our nation's longest standing task force. You know, and task forces are designed, uh, you know, around a mission. They're supposed to have a, you know, specific start and specific end date. You know, when the mission's over, they dissolve. But this this task force down there, uh, which runs, you know, counter counter drug and, and counter terrorist operations, um, is still around to this day. And, and and still slugging it out, and so yeah, I mean, I was part of uh, you know an entity that build helped build better mouse traps. Uh, we busted a lot of bad guys, uh, took down a lot of a lot of a lot of bad guys doing bad things, and uh, you know proud of that uh, proud of that mission set, proud of that organization, and then it integrated into the as I said the interagency task force uh, south down there, and um, you know to my knowledge to this day they're still doing that job. And you know it's it's uh, it's an important mission, you know, understanding what's happening in that hemisphere, uh, you know, from lots of different perspectives. But um, you know there are um, a lot of bad guys all over the world. Uh, that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. It certainly, is not to me. And to have a strong defense and understand, uh, you know, what's happening to our, you know, our, our allies and, and and neighboring, you know, partnering countries um, is really important. And and to, to assist where we can with uh, you know helping them defend their borders you know their territorial integrity their sovereignty and all these things are super important so you know I did a lot of traveling um, you know all over the Caribbean all over Central South America and uh, made a lot of friends and um, I think uh, you know moved the needle a little bit in uh, in in helping uh, you know uh, take down some people that needed to be uh, you know needed to be taken down I guess is the best way to say that so anyway I won't uh, I won't belabor too much on that mission but I thought you might uh, find that kind of interesting but the, I think that I think the thing you know that that I wanted to communicate uh, uh, you know in addition to the job if you will uh, was you know my introduction to salt water and and you know my rhythm. You know, like anybody else, you know, you go to work. Military doesn't know a nine to five thing. Um, you know, if you got to work, you got to work. You know, something going on, you're you're going to work and you're staying at work. You know, uh, you know until until it's okay not to be at work, right? And so, um, you know, there, there really isn't such thing as a weekend when you're in a, lead, a leadership position. Uh, you know, because you're on call and this, that, and the other thing. And I had a bat phone in my home. You know, right in my bedroom. You know, the, the red secure phone all this stuff and so but but there was you know there was uh, this is the time i think blackberries are, are coming around so you know you could get a hold of me if you wanted to i was just when i wasn't at work i was on the water you know, and I was learning salt water and I was just fascinated, absolutely fascinated. It was my first time to ever. And I bought a flat skiff, a Mako 181 flat skiff and in preparation for, for going uh, down to the Florida Keys, which is the perfect platform. If you, it's got a polling platform and, you know, a push pole and, you know, an engine, obviously to get the boat to where you want it to go, but it's designed to go in, 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 in fish in very shallow or skinny water. And so the Florida Keys, you know, the the big three down there that everybody chases uh, are, you know, the tarpon, the bonefish, and the permit. Those three fish 
Um, you know, I spent exclusively like 99% of my time, most of which was solo, okay, um, understanding the tides in these three different s species of fish and, uh, you know, where they would be, when they would be, you know, how to get them to bite, you know, you know, what kind of baits to use, you know, all of that. So I, I immersed myself in that space. When I was not at work, I was on the water and I took it as serious as I do anything that I'm interested in. And so I learned, I got my, my, I, I went to school, um, you know, and got my, uh, my captain's license, my six pack. So I'm a certified Coast Guard you know six-pack guy i went went through the course got my license and practiced uh you know being a six-pack captain for hire uh you know sort of on a side job a little bit of that so i understood how to you know do that and, and do customer service well uh in that space you know work for people really hard on the water i didn't need the money uh but i enjoyed doing the work um and i think it you know it brings brings my a game out if i know i got to perform uh um, you know, for somebody other than myself, you know, that that has a tendency to bring elevate my game. So I thought it was important to be able to try to compete on that space with some of those amazing guides. And I, you know, in the process, probably really pissed off a lot of people. Um, you know, because the guides are very sensitive to, you know, to their turf, if you will. Uh, that's how they make their living. And here's this guy who, you know, doesn't really need to be doing it is, you know, edging in on their space. I, I was, I, I thought I was pretty good about, you know, paying respect and deference to their lifestyle and living and everything without, you know, being too competitive. Um, but I did it. I loved it. Um, I learned a lot about um, saltwater fishing and absolutely fell in love with it. You know, I was like, wow. Before that, I was, a, you know, I'd been, you know, I'd done every kind of fishing that you could, that you could imagine. You know, I'd been in Alaska, so I'd, you know, I'd fly fished. I'd, you know, I grew up in Oshkosh, Wisconsin on a lake, you know, freshwater. I mean, I, I've, I'd done it. I'd done a lot of fishing all over the country and um, in the world, as a matter of fact. And, and when I hit the saltwater and got a chance to get on those flats and chase those fish, I say chase them, you know, it's a, shallow water fishing is like hunting, if you ask me, you know, your eyes are a very, very valuable asset because, you know, if you got a good set of polarized glasses and you're up on a platform and you've positioned the boat proper vis-a-vis -vis the sun, um, then, you know, you've got an advantage, you know, your perspective, you can see into the water, you know, especially clear water, like, you know, you see down in the Florida Keys. So, and it's one thing to see the fish and spot the fish but it's another thing to go get them and actually actually get them to bite you know and so when you do that to me you know that's like one of the hardest things on the planet to do as a sportsman you know to, you know to to catch those three fish and let, let alone catch three all three of those in one day that's called a grand slam you know and um and that's a that's a very high bar it's a very high standard uh you know to accomplish so it gave me you know a great deal of incentive you know to get good and practice and 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 when you can accomplish that um for me there's a huge amount of satisfaction because on a scale of 1 to 10, like 10 being difficult and 1 being easy, uh, you know, catching any one of those three fish on any given day 
it is extremely difficult. You know, it just is, it, you know, just to get to where they are is, is challenging. Uh, but to get them to bite, you know, is something else. But to get all three of them in one day, I mean, that represents a very high standard. And I love high standards. And so, um, you know, that means challenge and accomplishment in, in my in my language, like for me personally. So, um there's a lot of that that's unrecorded because I was out there by myself. Um, and I later went back and bought a home down there and, and, and lived out of it for a couple of years. Um, you know, in the, in, you know, after I, after I left active duty. So, I mean, I absolutely love the Florida Keys. Now I'm here, you know, in Tampa land, fishing the bay and, and raising two boys. So, um, you know, I, I still have a soft spot in my heart for the Florida Keys. And I, you know, I hope, you know, to spend more time down there just because it's a uh, you know it's just that magical place you know and, and i'll tell you one time um i was out there i got you know, i'd get off work say i got off work at uh, you know five o'clock okay six o'clock at the latest unless there was something going on i still had ch- a chance you know in the summertime to to beat feet home and get on that boat and spend an hour hour and a half you know before the failing sunlight out in the back country in the middle of nowhere learning the waters and how to catch these you know amazing fish so when i did that like every chance the every opportunity i i got you know um rain sun sleet <laughs> no sleet in the florida keys but uh you know i mean i just did it and and um one time i was out there and i'll never forget this Ever, I wished I had it recorded, or I wish there was somebody was there to 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 experience it with me. But you know, I enjoy like an alpinist, right? I enjoy being by myself out there. You know, it's not the same experience. I don't get the same satisfaction. I love being with other people and sharing that, and I do that now for a living. But if you ask me, like, what's your favorite thing to do, and who would you do it with? You know, um, you know, say for maybe my boys, I would do it alone, you know, and it's no offense to, to anybody. You know, it's just how I, I'm wired. I like to trap alone. I like to hunt alone. I like to fish alone. Um, you know, just I don't know. I mean, I can't I can't I can't really, you know, explain why that is. It's just, you know, it's an intensely personal experience for me. And, and, and I don't have to worry about entertaining people. I don't have to worry about, you know, disappointing people. I don't have to worry about anything but me and, and, and whatever it is I'm doing. So I don't know, maybe that's a good, maybe that, maybe that helps. Maybe that doesn't, I don't know. It's just, it's just the way that it is. And so I'm out there and the sun's setting. I'm out in this little place called Jewfish Basin, um, which is uh, someplace between Sugarloaf Shores at 17, where I lived, and Key West, which is mile marker zero, but on the backcountry side, not the Atlantic side, but the backcountry side uh, towards the Gulf, and, I, and there's nobody out there. Zero, which happens all the time, which is why I love it. You know, I've just seen some amazing things back there. Anyway, so I'm I'm getting ready to, uh, you know, I come off a plane in my, my skiff uh, well before my hunting grounds. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I coast in, I shut everything off, you know, and I'm getting ready to uh, get up on a flat and start fishing for maybe an hour before the sun goes down. And there's no wind, zero, nothing. I mean, like it's zero degrees wind and the sun setting and the water is like glass. It's like ice. It's like a sheet of ice. And I've never seen it like that in the Florida Keys ever. And it's so quiet. 
that my ears are hurting. Like they really is like screaming at me, like complete sensory deprivation. And, and, and it wasn't until that moment in my life where I heard uh, that I late cause I thought about it a lot. You know, it was amazing. I didn't, you know, I had a Blackberry. I couldn't record. And even if I did, you'd still lose, you know, you'd lose the experience. You wouldn't do what, you know, what it was, it wouldn't do for you what it did for me being there. So anyway, it, it, the saying, the silence was deafening. I mean, you've probably heard that. I, I've heard it, but I never really knew what that meant um, until I had that experience, and it was just so cool. That didn't have anything to do with catching a fish. You know, I don't know if I caught a fish that day or not, but I do remember that event, and it'll never leave me. It was absolutely a, a, one of the more magical times of my uh, life out in, you know, the outdoors doing the things that I do out there. So, anyway, I just thought I'd share that with you. So, um, so what happens is to, to wrap up the, the whole Jazz Rock IATF, uh Florida Keys thing. It was a three-year assignment, and about a year, about a year before uh, my time was up. You know, this is probably 2004 time frame. Knowing that I'm retiring in 07 because I got my 20, I got one more two-year assignment in me, and that's it. And um, and so what I do, what I figure is, hey, what's the best chance of me, you know, getting into a job that's really meaningful that could impact the global war on terror, and 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 really make a, you know, the best contribution that I could make. Um, to the country in support of this effort. Where I asked myself, where is that? You know, and since I know the guy at Perscom because he replaced me, um, I figure you know I could probably get there, right? And and I know a lot of people at this stage of the game, so I start making some phone calls. And the place I I settle on is 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 SOCOM, Special Operations Command. You know, and one of the two most powerful combatant commands on the planet right here at mcdill air force base and and i'm thinking to myself i gotta go there i mean these guys are you know got their hands full um you know at this stage 2004 i'm looking at being there in 05 you know we've been at the war for a couple of years now you know shock and awe has happened um you know we're fighting in iraq there's still stuff going on in afghanistan trying to trying to hunt down you know osama bin laden and uh you know oh five six and seven uh, if you were keeping track were pretty bad years for the home team you know we got uh you know we got our boys chewed up pretty good over there and um yeah so i was like i gotta do something i think this this makes the most sense for me you know give give the gipper one more for the gipper fi- you know find a hard job uh and good, go do your best and uh, so that's what I did. I started making phone calls. And then, um, you know, a guy by the name of Del Daly, uh, two-star aviation guy, uh, special operations uh, aviation guy, um, was running the uh, the interagency task force. Or I take it back. Uh, he, he, wanted a, he wanted to develop an interagency task force at uh, SOCOM, you know, similar to what was happening where I was working in the Keys. And, and SOCOM was jumping 
jumping, you know, it jumped into, of all places, Key West with a contingent to include Del Daly, a two-star general, and I pulled him out of the water, you know, an RB-15 and brought him all to shore. Um, and that's when I, you know, got, that's when I really got my hooks in SOCOM, you know, but I had a lot of friends over there anyway. So I didn't make a few phone calls, you know, Frank Kearney was over there, a three-star general. I'd served with him. I meant to mention his name several times, commanded for him, yada, yada. So I was like, you know, I know I can go to SOCOM. That's, that's the best thing for me. So that's what happened. And I'll talk, uh, you know, I'll talk about that, but in, in route before they let me go to SOCOM, they said, you got to go to the Joint Forces Staff College. I'm like, okay, man, another college? You want me to go another year to another college? Yep. I was like, oh, man, okay. All right. You know, if I got to do it, I got to do it. And and it was deemed that I got to do it. So if you're counting in a 20-year career, that's three colleges that they made me go to. Well, one, I, I, I didn't have to get my MBA, but I did. So, you know, it's third college, uh, and this one's in Suffolk. Suffolk or Norfolk? I think it's Norfolk. They Norfolk, Norfolk, Virginia. Suffolk or Norfolk, Virginia. Norfolk is what most people say. But that's where it was. The Joint Forces Staff College, so you could learn how to be a a staff chogi. But you know, I'd been a staff chogi before. It was just one of those schools that I didn't think, quite frankly, was you know, it was a good school. Don't get me wrong, because you're in there with your you know, joint brethren and sisters. You know, there's Air Force, Navy, you know, Marines, Coast Guard, you name it. They're all there, and they're in the grade of uh, 05, uh, I think all pretty much 04, 05. I think all 05s, you know, so lieutenant colonels uh, equivalent are are there, and uh, so am I. And so, you know, I got through the school. Uh, I don't have really anything to say about that other than a a deer hunting story that I might add, um, you know, because... uh, you might chuckle. Uh, I'll add that maybe as a special uh, special add-on when I'm all done with this thing, when I won't bore you now. But, yeah. So uh, I go to the Joint Forces Staff College, and I graduate, and then I, I show up at SOCOM. So in, 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 in 2005, okay, I am at SOCOM. Okay, I bought a house in Apollo Beach. I am at SOCOM, and I got two years, uh, you know, to serve before I get my 20. And that's where I'm going to leave off for this chapter. We'll pick it up at SOCOM, Special Operations Command, uh, when I do the last and final segment, okay? And there it is. Hope you enjoyed that. To learn more about the mission of the Wounded Warriors in Action Foundation and how you can get involved, please visit our website at www.iaf.org or follow our social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to the WWIA podcast and for helping us honor, connect, and heal our combat-wounded Purple Heart heroes through the power of the great outdoors. If you like what you're listening to here and would like to join our team in our mission to bring healing power and recovery to America's Purple Heart heroes, please become part of our Sponsor a Hero team by clicking on the link in the podcast notes or by going to wwiaf.org forward slash sponsor. That's wwiaf.org forward slash sponsor. Our heroes need you now more than ever. Thank you.